I'm Rachel Johnson, the Member Relations Manager here at Cherryland Electric Cooperative, joined today, as always, by our General Manager, Tony Anderson. Hey, Tony. Good afternoon. And we have another guest today. Kent Wood is joining us. Kent spent the last six years working as the Director of Government Relations for the Traverse, formerly Traverse City Chamber, now uh, Traverse Connect, where he served as their chief lobbyist and led their business advocacy efforts for both the local chamber and the Northern Michigan Chamber Alliance, which represents chambers all throughout Northern Michigan. Uh, Kent Reese, In the UP. In the UP, yes. In the UP. Which is also Northern Michigan. Yeah. Well, there's a little water separation. We just got to be clear. <laughs> uh, and recently, Kent launched his own government relations consulting firm called Borealis Strategic, where I am sure he will continue to do important work on behalf of rural Michigan businesses. Thank you for joining us, Kent. Thank you, Rachel. Tony. So Kent is joining us today to discuss an initiative that has really been spearheaded by the Northern Michigan Chamber Alliance. They are calling on Governor Whitmer, Michigan's governor, to create a cabinet-level position in Michigan that is devoted to rural development. Uh, rural, and, and for those of you who don't know, I was one of them. Let me give you a definition. I pulled it right from a, a white paper that, uh, that was kind of put together as a part of this project. Rural development is the process of economic, social, cultural, and environmental change designed to enhance the long-term well-being of rural communities. To put that in context, there are 59 counties in Michigan that are classified as rural, and a little under 2 million Michiganders live and work in those rural counties. So um, it's about the kind of long-term well-being of those 2 million rural Michiganders. Mm -hmm. So to get us started, Kent, I was hoping you could just kind of, we'll talk more about the details of what's being proposed, but if you could start by just talking about kind of the impetus for why, why, why you think this is important and why the Northern Michigan Chamber Alliance is um, is pushing for this. Yeah, sure. So we've felt, and I think a lot of people have felt for a number of years, um, that rural parts of the state, um, things things were much more, if not equally, challenging to develop and grow our rural parts of the state. And it was equally challenging to interact with the state and the federal government from rural parts of the state as well. So that's sort of kind of been a, um, you know, even without any, any data to back that up, that's kind of been everybody's, everybody's feeling. Um, more and more lately, we've started to see more articles and studies coming out um, to actually put some data and some quantitative measures behind that. I think one of the things that really um, caught us off guard quite a bit was a, uh, a report done by Bridge Magazine earlier this spring talking about um, the Michigan's population and, and what the population growth and decline has looked like uh, in, in our counties. And what that report essentially showed is that almost all of, our, of those 59 rural counties in the state um, over the last 10 or so years have lost population and are continuing to lose population. So essentially, our rural counties are dying. There are more people dying in those counties per year than babies being born and inward migration into those counties. And even the even the few, I think Grand Traverse, one of, Grand Traverse County was one of very few um, you know, classified as rural counties that actually gained population. But when you 
broke down those numbers, which Travers Connect did, what you found is that it, it might have gained population, but population in kind of that critical like 25 to 50 age range still lost 10 percent. Sure. So so even a county like Grand Traverse that feels like it's growing, that growth is happening probably with more retirees, which is great. Like, come, sure. come here, come retire here. Yeah. However, in terms of becoming a part of the economic engine, in terms of a workforce and, and sustaining our business, economy, yeah. yeah. It, Kids in schools, et cetera, yeah. What's happening in the urban counties? Are they seeing a similar out-migration to other states? Or are the, are the people leaving the rural counties of Michigan moving to the urban counties of Michigan? Do we know? Where where are these people going? Yeah, it's it's been it's been a little bit of both, and and, I, and there's have been some um, some national data that's shown that typically when people, um, especially if if you're from a, a, a poorer rural area, um, you're you are less likely to move. But if you do move, you are not you're not moving a long ways away. You're you're either moving someplace in state or or close by. So you're not typically moving to a Chicago or to one of the coasts where um, where there is a lot of economic vibrancy. You're you're typically doing it, it closer. Um, and you know, so the state of Michigan as a whole too has shown a, a small increase in, in population. Nothing groundbreaking or anything like that, but uh, but by and large that increase has come from our larger urban and metropolitan okay. so, areas. So essentially they're moving within the state boundary. In a lot of cases, yeah, yeah. For, from our rural counties, yeah. Yeah, so they're not leaving the state. And I, I mean, I, I know this is implied, but I think it's important to state it explicitly. So as these rural counties lose population, there are significant economic impacts to losing population, right? You have a yeah. smaller tax base, you then don't have as much money to invest in infrastructure. And so a lot of, I think a lot of our, our state level policies assume that a community can take care of itself in some ways, or it can come up with dollars to match to get grants and all these other mm-hmm. things. And that, that assumption is not bearing true in rural communities. Yeah. Am, I, am I saying that right? I, I, I think that's very fair. And it's also, I think it's probably also fair to say too, that it's, um, you know, rural communities already suffer from those challenges of not, you know, not having a huge cluster of, of population to be able to use for infrastructure or grants or whatnot. So when you then continue to lose population, when you're not very dense to begin with, um, it's just it's a it's a bad cycle, and it's a cycle that as we've uh, are finding out is is very hard to break. Maybe we could explain to our readers how is it set up at the state government today. I mean, Schneider. He combined the Department of Agriculture with the Department of Rural Development. Yeah, or or, or, or created a, yeah, a new department. I would say with kind of two. threw on rural development no. on there, and that was um, in in large part. I think I think Governor Snyder was um, he originally was had the right idea, you know, and I and I think he understood that um, we don't have a lot of focus on our rural areas. Um, he knew also he would always tout how, you know, Michigan in terms of agriculture production was number two in the country in terms of uh, the, the number of, of items that we, that we produce through agriculture here. Um, and so I think he, he felt that there was a, um, you know, a clear connection between 
our ag community and in rural development. But really, when you look at the rural development side of our Department of Ag and Rural Development, um, it's not very robust. And the Department of Ag and Rural Development would um, suggest that also. Would that, agree. Yeah, that it's, it's largely focused, um, as it should be, on agriculture because that has been the, the historical um, – the historical industry that the Department of Ag is supposed to look after. Uh, the rural development part really, by and large, came – there's a, um, a a rural development grant fund that was created back in 2012 uh, that, um, you know, it came from some um, minerals and, and stuff like that in the UP. But it's, um, it's really quite small in the grand theme of, scheme of things and um, really super focused. So that's – really by and large all that the Department of Ag and Rural Development does from a rural development space right now. Um, so there's certainly room for improvement there. So so Snyder, so prior to Snyder adding that, there really wasn't any, the rural development wasn't mentioned necessarily Correct, at the yep. cabinet department level. Mm-hmm. Then that gets tagged into the Department of Agriculture and this fund, which I think I read in the, in the white paper you provided that it's on average about one under one and a half million dollars a year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's available in grants, which it's a big number. But when you divide it over fifty nine potential counties, that number isn't actually very very big at all. No, and it's certainly not too. If you, if you're talking about systemic change in the way we think about and act on rural development policy to create mm-hmm. sustainable, you know, whatever you can do all the language you want. You know, that amount of money is not going to get the job done. It will take care of a few projects here and there, and they might be very important projects for communities also, but it is, it's not going to transform the way we think about developing rural economies in the state. So can you explain then specifically what the ask is here? So we, we have rural development already mm-hmm. in this existing department. What, what, are, what are we asking Governor Whitmer to do now? Our, our big goal, our big, big mission is, um, you know, the 30,000-foot the view is a cabinet-level position within the administration that is focused on all areas of rural development in the state. So not just, not just the 59 counties, but there are also significant parts of other counties that don't qualify from a number standpoint as rural, uh, but have significant um, geographic portions of that county that are rural. You think of a Saginaw County, for example. Obviously, that is not, you know, with, with the city of Saginaw, it does not qualify as a rural county, but a large swath of Saginaw County, though, is very rural. Same with Bay County, same with Midland County, uh, and, and you can pick a number of those around the state as well. So our ask is, is to have um, somebody, you know, either a, a person with a small staff or a department or uh, something like that that is um, at a peer level with the other department directors within her administration. Uh, and, and we would, at least I would really foresee that there are sort of um, sort of two, two prongs to this, uh, to this position. There's an, an external part of it, which is where um, this person or, or, or department is the outward-facing um, policy head for the governor's administration in the state. So they're dealing with the public. They are trying to develop and analyze policy and create policy for our rural parts of, of, of the state that can either be implemented uh, through the government, through the legislature somehow. And then there's also an internal part, too, where this person serves as the 
um, sort of the conduit between departments um, to ensure that the policies and the programs that these departments are either creating or from a program standpoint delivering, um, that those policies and programs work in the rural parts of our state. So I could certainly see a, a, a small team of policy analysts that look at um, the request for rulemaking that, that goes through and determining how, how those rules might impact uh, rural development or development in rural communities. Same with programs, you know, whether it's a, um, some kind of a grant program or a, a tax incentive program um, to look and kind of uh, analyze and make some determinations on is this program usable mm-hmm. in rural parts of the state? How might, how might it, um, you know, how, how might we be able to change it so that it could be delivered differently and better in rural communities um, who don't have as many resources, uh, who don't have as, as many matching fund opportunities. Um, so I, we could certainly um, see and are certainly suggesting that, um, that, that this position, in whatever form that it takes, sort of have those, uh, those two, those out, the outward-looking approach and also the inward-looking approach within the administration as well. So does the governor have the sole authority to do this, or does she need House and Senate approval? It... Um, it depends largely on what what route she wants to to take. So, if she does want to create um, a whole new department with this, I think there is there's some kind of um, I, I don't think she needs House or Senate approval, but there is some mechanism where where they could they could check that. Um, but if she wants to set up a um, you know an office just within the executive office, I know there's uh, one state in particular, Indiana, that has a, um, a, a rural focus shop, uh, and they house that in, in the l- lieutenant governor's office. Um, so, there, you know, if she wants to create, a, you know, some kind of a commission or task force or uh, office within her, her executive team and executive office, um, she has, certainly has the prerogative to do that on, on her own without okay. House and Senate. So, so this initiative isn't solely about a cabinet position. It's just about focusing more on the rural correct. areas. Correct, yep, correct. However we can get that done. Exactly. So we are, um, I mean, again, as you can kind of, as you have no doubt seen in, in the white paper, I mean, we're shooting really high with the ask, which is mm-hmm. that, you know, we feel we can justify right. a new department within the state. Um, and we, we've done a, a, a brief fiscal analysis, too, to show that, you know, a, a Opening a new department with a director and a staff of about five or so people, that can be done in under $2.5 million, which in the grand scheme of things is not a lot of money. Yeah, okay? but I, I'm a legislator from Detroit. And these 59 counties, there's 1.9 million people that occupy the 59 rural counties. I have another 7 million people in the other counties I have to worry about. So why, why am I interested in putting money into... Uh, 59 counties where a small majority of our population lives. Uh, well, as a legislator from Detroit, you're probably not interested in that. And, you know. So you're not trying to convince me. You're just going straight for the governor. Not at the moment. We're, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we are, we are trying to justify that uh, relooking at how the state delivers rural, or especially rural economic policy, needs to change. Um, we will admit that there is there's not a lot, even at the at the federal level out there, um, that 
shows how best to do this. There are a, a few states that are um, going this route and, and doing some doing some work in the rural policy space, but there's not a lot not not a ton out there to plug and play, so to speak. And so, um, you know, that's that's our challenge. But I think the um, you know it's it's our, our our big ask, and and I think the the big opportunity for the governor is. Michigan really can be a leader in the country on this, in, in how states uh, develop and implement rural economic policy. Uh, and our argument is it, it, it can be done for not a ton of money. You know, you don't have mm-hmm. to create a new uh, Department of Health and Human, Human Services that takes up 50-plus percent of the budget, um, you know, with a, with a small investment of resources and um, the right kind of people who are focused on rural development um, Michigan can truly be a leader in this. Has this hit the governor's desk yet, or what's? How are you going to get in front of the governor? Well, we're going to get. Uh, the, the plan is to get in, in front of the governor and her team as many ways as possible, and we're, we 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 are reaching out to um, everyone we can think of in her administration, especially those that are in her executive office. You know, part of her executive team. So, um, you know, her. Her, her policy directors and her legislative directors and her chief of staff and, you know, chief stat- strategy directors. I know we've had a, a conversation with um, her, um, the secretary of, of, of her cabinet and, and have pitched this. And um, so it's, it's been, it's been positive so far, but I'd be lying if I said that it's a slam dunk at this point. It, it's certainly the conversations that we've had, um, make it very clear that this is not necessarily a priority of the governor right now. Uh, so that's our challenge is to raise that level up to, if not a, a priority, certainly a, a darn good policy idea where, where they see the benefit both to the state mm-hmm. and also to, to her administration as well to take this kind of a leadership role in this space. So aside from the urban policymakers saying, well, this isn't important because it's not necessarily important to the constituents I represent. What is the other opposition or cons- what are other concerns you've heard about this proposal? Well, the the biggest concern, quite honestly, has been, um, you know, when we've pitched it as a, uh, you know, rural affairs and development department, the biggest concern has been, you know, well, do we really need another department? Mm-hmm. Aren't we just adding to the size of government? Wouldn't that cost a lot of money? Um so you know, part of that, um, part of that is doing that the financial the you know financial analysis that we did to kind of show that well, listen we're not again we're not we're not talking about a health and human services department, we're talking about a small department here, um, but we, we're also um, again the, the counter to that is it doesn't have to be a department. Mm-hmm. That's one way to do it, and certainly I think if you want to be very serious about this, that's probably the ultimate way to do that. Uh, but there, there are other ways to to do this, and so we are somewhat agnostic to how it's done, um, but still very focused on the goal that it 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 should be, you know, this person or position should rise to the level of cabinet level. You know, they 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 should at least be at at a peer level with the other leaders within the administration. If it's just a, a you know small office that's tucked into MEDC that has no real authority. That's not really what we're what we're after. Would that you know it'd be somewhat of a win in in still having some kind of rural focus, but 
we, we really think it li- rises to the level of some kind of de- decision-making authority and policy-making authority. Yeah, well, and it, I mean, the other thing that was interesting in the white paper that I was thinking about when um, you were talking about population differences, urban versus rural, the, the white paper makes a really strong case, because it's true, that a lot of these rural areas technically house some of the most important kind of statewide assets that we have that bring people into the state, whether Sleeping Bear Dunes was one of the examples, mm-hmm. but a lot of the kind of primary tourist destinations are in some of our rural communities, but those tourists get here through urban airports on, you know, I mean, they're spending money throughout the state, but oftentimes that's one of the attractions. And so I think it's fair to say things that impact rural communities and their ability to um, be healthy and thrive do have an impact for even the 7 million people who aren't living in them. You know, one of our challenges also is I think is just the perception of the word rural in general. So when we talk about rural, I, I truly believe in, um, and I, and I think this goes to where sometimes where your conversations go when you have talk about when you do talk with people, especially downstate people about rural type issues, is that they really when you when you say rural, they think of a farm country. They think of dirt, dirt roads and like, you know, the one the one silo off off in the distance. I mean, what what we're talking about here, though, is really small towns, villages, places that do have an economic core already. Mm-hmm. We're not necessarily asking that, hey, we need to create a thriving metropolis out in the middle of nowhere where there currently doesn't exist, at, you know, something like that right now. What we are talking about is ways that we can take some of the economic assets that we've, are, that we've already got. Some of those are natural resource and kind of tourism-based. Uh, but if you look at the, the communities just in, in northern Michigan in general, from a Traverse City to Petoskey, Gaylord, you know, even Alpena and Cadillac, there's something there already. There is some, you know, there's some economic capital there. There's there's industry there. There are already companies that are competing globally and nationally for sure in certain traded industries. Mm-hmm. So how can how can we take what already exists right there and solve the challenges though that that are there and and help those those communities go from, um, you know, grow what they've already got. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about bringing in a Ford or a GM. We're not talking about bringing the new Amazon headquarters or, you know, you know, that's, that's not rural development, but taking, taking these companies that already exist and helping them get to that next level or, you know, looking at connecting with, businesses or talent that has some kind of a connection to the area, to the region already. And what are the, um, you know, trying, trying to figure out what the, um, what, what the relationship looks like to help, help get them back there. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's one of the, that's one of the key things that the key hurdles we're going to have to get over is that we're not, we're not talking about the remote parts of the state necessarily. We are talking about you know, the, the small cities and towns and villages that are in rural counties um, that already have something existing right there and, and helping them improve. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's even I think that will be a challenge and it probably is going to take some, um, you know, the way we talk about it, maybe even some new language that I don't know what that new language is quite quite yet. But 
that certainly as I have more and more conversations, it, it, it hits me that even when we're talking about rural, I think sometimes we're talking about different, different types of it, you know, mm-hmm. remote versus a actual thriving small city. Who would be some top supporters of this? Who is in your co- coalition today that you might want people to know about to get other people yeah. to join? That's a great question and, and something that recently we've been um, very excited to add a number of more statewide partners to this. Um, we've amassed a list of about 70, I think there's 75 or 80 um groups or organizations from around the region uh, and a lot of your key players from from around um, northern Michigan and the Upper Peninsula too that have signed on to support this um, but more recently uh, groups like the Michigan Hospital Association um, SBAM the Small Business Association of Michigan uh, and also Mecca um, have have signed on to to support um, we've got um, some others that are kind of floating out there too but uh, that has over the last um, few weeks that has been a key push for us is to try to figure out who are those um, who are those key either statewide types of organizations or players or even uh, more regional organizations that are that are downstate and not just from northern Michigan mm-hmm. that will that will sign on in, in support as well yeah and our listeners should know that Mecca is the Michigan Electric Cooperative Association association of nine distribution co-ops in the GNT in the state of Michigan and we're, we're almost out of time, but I also want to um, let all of our listeners know we'll include a link with the podcast to a website you can go to to sign up personally to show your support. I already did it. It was really easy. You give your name and email address. So, And then uh, a nice added benefit, in addition to signing up to show your support, you will then get updates on this particular initiative as it moves forward because it is kind of changing as it goes based on the feedback you're getting and kind of what seems realistic. But I, I do think everyone I have talked to who has been a part, whether it's Northwestern Michigan College or Rural Community College or the electric co-ops, like we all recognize that the communities we live in are a little different than some urban communities and policies that might make sense and work really well in those communities don't work well here. And we pay taxes too. So we would really love for our government to work for us. Yeah. And um, oh, what was I going to say? I had a really great point. I bet uh, it was great. Yeah, it was just fantastic. <laughs> it was going to really cap. Maybe, really the, cap maybe in the next podcast. <laughs> this is our <laughs> teaser to get people to come back. Yeah, exactly. You could just ask. I'll bring you back. Can't you don't like you don't have to withhold your most for like ten. Yeah, for like a ten second podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and here's what I was going to say. Well, so speaking of wowing us, uh, everybody did bring fun facts. So I'm gonna ask Tony to kick us off with his fun fact. Sure. We've talked about the fact in the past that there's 900 rural electric co-ops that del- deliver electricity to 42 million people in 48 states. What we haven't talked about is our cousin cooperatives. Credit unions, for example, serve 100 million members. That's 8,300 credit unions across the country serving 100 million members. Telephone co-ops, there's 260 telephone co-ops in the United States. They serve 1.2 million people in 31 states. Wow. I love credit unions. I belong to more than one. (laughs) Kent? Okay, well, when you said fun fact, I thought it was supposed to be like a personal it can fun be. Fact. It can that, be. That so it's we, not... we, have, we have nothing fun about our personalities. Okay, all so. right. Well, kind of same here, too. Speak but I guess, you know, I don't know if necessarily this is fun, but given that it is the holiday in the in the Christmas season, um, you know, I've, I've been listening to a lot of Christmas music on, on Alexa. You know, hey, Alexa, play, play Christmas music. 
And, you know, even up to like last week, I wasn't, I still wasn't necessarily feeling like super into the, into the Christmas season, the Christmas spirit. And so finally for the first time this season, I started listening to some classical Christmas music and instantly into the spirit. So I've, I've fun, the fun fact for me is that I, I've, I realized that classical music, maybe even classical movies, are what I need to get into the Christmas spirit. I highly recommend Straight No Chaser. They're fantastic too. Yeah. So my um, mine is like the wonkiest of the fun facts this time. So I apologize about that. But uh, my birthday was last week, and for my birthday, Congress passed an omnibus spending bill, okay. and it included. Yeah. Uh, Four really important co-op priorities that we have talked about many times on this podcast. So I just wanted to touch base and let all of our loyal listeners know about those things. The first, it included relief for co-ops on the premiums that we pay to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. The second, it included our very important tax fix, the update that um, will ensure that co-ops that take federal or state grant dollars don't lose their tax-exempt status. The third, which is smaller but still um, a good thing, it eliminated the parking lot tax that requires not just co-ops but other organizations to pay a tax if they provide parking to their employees for free. And uh, it also repealed the Cadillac tax, which would have impacted us because we would have been a, an employer whose health insurance, the our employee employer-provided health insurance would be considered too rich, and we would have had to pay significant taxes on it. All four of those things combined, I can't give you an exact dollar amount that it saves Cherryland's members, but I know that it is big and uh, it's forward growing as well. And as a co-op, obviously our costs get passed directly on to our members. So this is a really, really big win for our members in terms of helping us to keep our rates low moving forward and and continue to provide affordable electricity. It was just a really big win for us. So um, thank you to all of our listeners who've taken the time to either indicate your support on those issues, put your own political and or personal capital behind um, getting that done. It is very much appreciated. You might even say it's huge. <laughs> you might. Uh, so uh, just, oh, Kent. Point of order. Yes. I do have one other fun fact um, that I just in the in the data space that I would like to add if I could. Yeah. And, that, and now these are, are 2017 numbers, but over 85%, almost 95% of MEDC programs and tax incentives, so that's the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, go to southern Michigan, basically below Claire. So almost 90% of incentives or programs that are business development-based um, go to the southern part of Michigan. So this is what you forgot to say or wanted to No, say? It, it, it's not, so but it is something. there's still something hanging out there for There is for still later. something <laughs> hanging out there for a 15-second podcast in the future. Um, but I, I thought it does – it was it was just it was one of those facts that kind of yeah that's significant blew me away and, and kind of ties back to why we're talking about a rural focused position yeah absolutely and um, we we are very grateful to you for doing this work on behalf of not just our rural community but the rural communities across Michigan and thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast and explain it to our listeners oh I always love coming on here thank you both thanks for having me again. And listen to lots of classic Christmas carols. Yes, I will. Yeah, I certainly will. Thanks, Kent. Thanks, Tony. You're welcome.